and welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Episodes will typically be uploaded every Monday, and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter and TikTok at Fulcrum Pod, and on Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast, so be sure to follow us on any of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. Hi, I'm Sage. I use she, they pronouns, and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Sage Sindula and on Instagram at sage.sindula. My name is Claire, and my pronouns are she, her, and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Claire Kreez. Uh, and my name is Charles. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, you can find me at my personal Twitter at CWRoger6 and a whole host of other places that I'm sure I'll talk about at the end. Welcome back to Girl Boss of the Week, our favorite series here where we talk about women in Star Wars um, who don't get highlighted very often. Uh, usually I have a whole thing to say. I totally didn't write one today. Um, but as you know, if you're a regular listener, we talk in nuance, in detail um, about these women, their flaws, their achievements, uh, mostly their achievements. Um and we talk about why they're important to Star Wars and why they are not as uh, represented in the fandom as some of their male counterparts. Uh, today, we are talking about Mon Mothma. This episode is very overdue because she was the star of 2022. Um, we love her. And we are going to try to get in her whole life story in. Um, but you guys know we're really bad at that. <laughs> does anyone want to start um well I'm sure we want to start off with her actually very early life because she does become a senator when she's like 14 years old and also gets married shortly after um so she was kind of doing stuff from a very young age sort of love that for her kind of girl boss of her but also hate that she literally was married at like age 16 to my literal enemy um and I can't wait for Andor season two when she enters her divorce era, which I've decided is happening. Um, she doesn't know about it yet, but she will be getting a divorce. I have decided. <laughs> I am personally ready for the marriage storyification of Andor. Uh, I just hope she gets Laura. Is it Laura Dern that plays the divorce lawyer in that movie? Now, kind of, yes, actually, I I'm totally kind of forgot about that. And now I'm remembering. <laughs> Mon Mothma gets Amelyn Holdo to represent her in the divorce. This I'm so obsessed with that. Gay mm. people everywhere. We're so ready for this story. Truly, truly, the LGBT community would come out for Mon Mothma to support her in this moment. I truly believe that with every fiber of my being, because we all hate Perrin. It's the one thing that unites us. We all hate Perrin Firtha. He couldn't even take her last name, the little fucker wishes he was Bail Organa taking Bray Organa's last name. He could never. And we have our first Bail Organa mention of the day. It was Listen. coming. It was <laughs> coming. Like a minute in. <laughs> it did not take very long. Oh, I'm sh oh, I know Bail Organa is getting mentioned in this later on. I know there's a scene we're going to talk about. <laughs> oh my god, I really can't do that. But yeah, no, she she needs to get away from that man he has the most rancid vibes even outside of like the fact that their marriage is terrible he just sucks like literally the first time we're introduced to him we're already jumping all the way to like and or times but it's fine the first time we're introduced to him he's like yeah I invited a bunch of fascists over for, for dinner but like they're fun so it's fine get out get off my screen 
And then he gets even worse as the series goes on. I was like, are we really doing this right now? Like I, what frustrates me so much is the way that he literally is like pitting their own daughter against her. Like every single time Lita tries to do anything, he's like, well, you have to ask your mother because she's probably going to say no. And Mon is literally like, I don't, like, I actually can't deal with this right now because I've tried to like start a rebellion. Um, I wish that he would get away from her and then never speak or exist in my life again. I truly believe deep in my heart and soul that Perrin Firtha is not the person she falls in love with while she's on her gap year. I truly believe he is not that person. I also truly believe that person was a woman, but that's just my personal feelings. No, I also this. believe that's what this I want to have so happened. strongly. <laughs> yeah, no, because I'm like, why do you have to note that she fell in love with someone, but then she gets married to him like a year later after like when she's coming back to politics? I'm like, I know that you, Mon Mothma, were in love with a woman at age 15, but then your parents were like, no, you have to marry this stupid man and go back into politics. She also briefly entertained, I think, being a historian, which personally just makes me love her more as a, an amateur history person. Uh, she she gets me. Truly, in some ways, she gets me. In some ways, I strongly disagree with her, and we will get to those. Uh, but one thing, too, that like with her early life that that I really find interesting is the fact that she gets started so young. She is very much like Padme and like Leia to an extent in this regard, although Leia grows up in a very different time, where Mon is introduced to the democracy and the Republic and, and a functioning government, how beneficial, how good that can be. And that's an ideal that she's going to carry through her entire life from beginning to end. One of her defining traits is going to be a love for the concept of democracy, a love for the concept of the Republic. And in her early life, we see that she got introduced to this concept, left to try to go find herself, and then came back and committed herself to this. It's it's almost kind of Jedi-like in a way, where, you know, when you're young, you kind of go around and you figure out, like, oh, do I really want to stay with the Order? More so like in the old Legends books than in anything in canon, uh, especially with the High Republic, because, like, Wayseekers are a thing, there's more flexibility, but in Legends, there was sort of this overarching theme of with the younger Jedi stuff of, oh, I got to figure out whether or not I really want to be a Jedi because there's and then you would come back and you'd recommit yourself to the order. Mon kind of strikes me the same way when it comes to like government and politics that she starts out with it, gets some training and it leaves, decides she wants to commit and goes back and will spend the rest of her life literally fighting for democracy. I love her so much as a character. She's so interesting. She really did enter a little Cantum Psy era. Uh, left. I was literally thinking that as we were talking. Uh, had a gay relationship, went back, you know, you know how it goes. We all go through that. Um, <laughs> Some of us never leave that. <laughs> and you're so right. Um I do think, I think we talked about this before um, on this podcast multiple times, but this idea in Star Wars, especially of women um, as girls, they start so young in whatever they're doing. Um, and sometimes it is not uh, 
up to them, we we see like characters like Ahsoka, who is thrown into war in a very different way than, say, Leia is, right? Um, but still is very, you know, she didn't really get to decide that she was going to become a soldier. It's a, it's a trope um, that kind of o- is overarching characters like Mon Mothma, characters like Padme, Jin Erso, is these girls are thrown into situations and also um, have to navigate their own self-discovery within um, their careers that they're partial to. And I think it's really interesting that we keep getting these narratives. Uh, and I, I would really wish that Star Wars explored it a little bit more in depth um, and also, you know, got gave a little bit more nuance into the um, repercussions of that. I think we are, you know, with Mon Mothma, we're seeing it a little bit more in uh, Andor about, you know, she's been in politics for a really long time. She's been married for a really long time. And these are things that are showing up in her character arc, um, which I really appreciate. I have a novel idea. Mm-hmm. Are are you ready? Are you ready? Because yeah. I know no one has ever suggested this before. Perhaps, hear me out, mm-hmm. uh, Lucasfilm could hire some women writers mm-hmm. on some of their visual media projects. I'm just, I know this is wild. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, perhaps it could be more than just like all men and the same men at that. I'm just throwing this out here. Completely wild concept. Uh, perhaps this could address this in some way. I know it's shocking. Uh, it, it completely new idea. Uh. No, I think that that's crazy. I don't think that Lucasfilm would ever do that. Um, really, but I no, I completely agree with you, Sage. Like even dating all the way back to the original trilogy, like our, we have Luke and Leia and they're both 19 year olds. They're literally twins, but Leia has been going for years and Luke is like, just been living like this is not like shade he's like Luke, i'm a farmer and then all of a sudden he's like oh should i have to go like fight in a galaxy altering war uh that's crazy and leia's like i've literally been doing this like my whole life um and it's like a common thread that we see these young women who like you said have been literally in politics or in some cases like fighting i mean you think about like ahsoka literally was fighting in the clone wars when she was like 14 years old and I'm like, that is not healthy or normal. Like, like people should not be doing that stuff at such a young age. And I feel like in the case of someone like Mon Mothma, and this also applies to like Padme and some of these, these women who started in politics early on, is there so much pressure from either like your family or your home planet or whatever. And we know that Shandrilla has some very like deep rooted traditions. I mean, we really get into it in Andor where they're like, hey, you should have your daughter get married to some random boy she's never met. It's like, "Mm, maybe we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Um, But like stuff like that is so deeply rooted in Chandril and like traditions and culture. And so we have Mon Mothma who literally has been doing this her entire life. And it was like kind of the only path that was set out for her. And yeah, we talked about like how she had this year to kind of explore what else she wanted to do. But at the end of the day, she ended up coming back to politics and going down this like, long tradition that I'm sure has been a part of like her family and her community for generations and so she doesn't really have like a choice at the end of the day in what she wants to do with her life. She's also a character who very much is 
bound by a sense of duty. And we'll we'll see this through, you know, all the way up through her life, that she feels personally responsible for advocating for for Chandrilla and then for the rebellion and then for the New Republic as a whole. So she's a character that gets a sense of duty ingrained in her early on. And we will see, presumably over the course of Andor, she will lose everything that is not the rebellion. She will wind up on the run with a few people that are rebellion people, and that'll be all she has for a really long time. She's a very tragic figure in that regard, where she essentially either gives up or has everything taken away from her beyond this sense of, I don't want to say justice, but like this commitment to the cause of democracy that she has as a character. And I find that just a really heartbreaking thing. And yeah, looking at her from like a young age and asking like how much of that is deeply ingrained Chandrillan custom. And even once she's moved away from being the senator for Chandrilla and she's becoming more of an advocate for the rebellion and then for the galaxy as a whole, how much of those deeply ingrained things she was taught as a young woman and that she had to adapt as a young woman have carried with her all the way through the rest of her life. I was just going to talk about the delegation of 2000 because we know I have a lot of thoughts about it and I just have to bring it up because every day I think about the fact that Mon Mothma could have been in Revenge of the Sith in maybe the best Star Wars scene to ever be written and then they cut it. Um, but it's fine because I know it to be true. So it's it is okay. canon. It is exactly it is canon. canon. Uh, unlike a lot of other deleted scenes, the petition of the 2000 is confirmed canon. Uh, every time I watch Revenge of the Sith with somebody new, I force them to sit through those deleted scenes because I'm like, these are also canon. This was a whole Padme subplot. They cut it out of the movie so they could give us more Anakin angst time and big yeah. giant laser battles, which was dumb and stupid. And uh, George Lucas, I'm in your walls with that. <laughs> no, I also do that. I also literally, I'll be watching Revenge of the Sith with someone. I'd be like, did you know that there was actually supposed to be a scene here in which Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and Padme Amidala literally like started the foundations of the rebellion? And we still see the impacts of those scenes being cut because I literally see people being like, Padme literally like died. She had nothing to do with the rebellion. And I'm like, first of all, you're an idiot. But second of all, like, canonically yes she did because what do you think that those meetings and like the entire petition of the 2000 was about if not opposing palpatine's literal like start of fascism in what was then the republic and what becomes the empire like the entire premise of that was that he was taking too much power that should have been like among the entire senate for himself and mon mothma and friends decided to do something about it and I'm like, how do you how do you not see how that was literally like the earliest foundations of what would become the Rebel Alliance? Like, it's so obvious. Like, I hate to say it, but it's so clear to everyone that that's what that was. I just I just I we said this before. I think that the only way to correct this mistake um, is to write an audio drama about um, about that time. Uh, I'm available. I'm I'm available, Delray. So true. Call me. Uh, DM me on uh, Twitter. <laughs> Lucasfilm, send me an email, Delray. I'm here. 
I have an open schedule. Anyways, no, I do think um, we should call it Mon Mothma and Friends. I like that, Claire. That's the that's the I, audio. I, that. I would listen to that. The whole point of the petition of the 2000 scenes is that the system is broken. And I think this this ties back to Mon Mothma. And I think it's important that she's present in those scenes because the point is that Palpatine, the war, the bureaucracy, the fascist authoritarian takeover of the Senate, which has slowly, gradually been creeping into it for two goddamn decades at this point, has broken the system. And you have a group of senators, 2,000 senators, that signed this petition to say, hey, you need to give up your power. That's what you're supposed to do within the system. That's what senators like Mon Mothman and Baylor gone up do is that they operate within the system. And again, it goes back to Mon really truly believing in the concept of democracy in the Republic. The problem is Palpatine doesn't give a shit. Palpatine doesn't care. He's like, oh, that is so cute that you got this little list of senators. Uh, we're gonna round some of those up after the uh, the empire takes power, by the way. And we're just gonna, you know, get chuck them in a, a jail cell somewhere. But the fact that the system is broken and the fact that more, I don't wanna say violent necessarily, cause I don't wanna sound like Saw Carrera uh, when he's written badly, but more outside the system topics uh, or more outside the system ways of doing things. That's such an important idea to the rebel alliance that we will eventually see that is going to operate as a military group outside the system of the, quote, legitimate galactic government. Those scenes are so important. And the fact that we're left on the cutting room floor so we can have more space battle. Guys, guys, you can shorten the opening space battle. I also like the opening space battle, but you can you can cut about three minutes out of that. It's fine put these scenes back in because they're so important. I'll actually tell a bit of Charles Deplore is, um, so I, one of my either first experiences or formulative experiences with Revenge of the Sith was reading the novel. I read three fourths of the comic adaptation before I saw the movie. Cause this was back in the days. This may be surprising to, to people who are like immersed in Disney star Wars. There used to be a day when movies didn't care about spoilers. And so adaptations of the movie would come out before the movie would. So sometimes you would read the adaptation of the movie before you actually saw the movie itself. So I read the comic and I can't remember if I read the novel before or after I saw the movie, but I remember reading the novel and going, oh, there's this really cool political stuff that's happening and Mon Mothma's here and we're going to try to form the rebellion. And one of my absolute favorite Padme moments when she tells Bail it, Bail Organa, she's like, no, you need to vote for the Empire and you need to make Mon do it too. She has to specify, you have to make Mon do this. Otherwise she won't do it. And then you keep working, do all the things we can't talk about in secret. And then none of that's in the movie. That's some of the best stuff. <sighs> I'm still I'm still annoyed about that. I will, I will be annoyed about that until the day I die or the day they put those scenes back in the movie on Disney+. Plus. It's not enough for them to be deleted. I need an extended cut. No, literally. I'm like, I don't need to go on YouTube to watch them. I do that like every single day. I want to watch the movie with them in it in the place where they're supposed to be because it like completes the political narrative that's being told in that movie. 
I'm like I and like obviously this is just me being like I care a lot more about like the kind of political drama side of Star Wars than like a lightsaber battle and I know that a lot of people would disagree with me there but I'm also like that stuff is what makes it an actual story like Star Wars is not a story because like two people hit each other with laser swords like that's not where the actual storytelling comes from and so I'm like why are we cutting out the good stuff to put in an extra like someone flies around in a spaceship like I don't I will never understand it I made the comparison when Book of Boba Fett finished I made a negative comparison between the Book of Boba Fett and Game of Thrones season eight where I brought up the point and this holds true to for all pieces of media Game of Thrones is just the best example of it to where uh, Game of Thrones got this reputation for having a bunch of talky stuff in the first couple of seasons and people would make fun of the talky episodes of Game of Thrones. And as the series progressed, they started cutting all those talky bits out so they could do the big set pieces. The problem is the talky bits was where all the story and the themes were happening. And if you cut all that out, you're just left with useless spectacle that no one cares about. That's why the lightsaber duel between Luke and Vader in Return of the Jedi is one of my favorites. Even though it cuts away from the duel when they're fighting and comes back so they can talk to each other. Because there's so much happening in that that's outside of the duel itself. As opposed to uh, the Count Dooku fight in Attack of the Clones. Which um, you mean nothing and I don't care. Sorry, that's just how I feel about that. And yeah, I absolutely agree with with Claire that the political stuff is some of the most important stuff to the franchise because Star Wars is inherently at its heart political and has been political since 1977. And so I love those scenes a lot and not just because it's uh, prequel era Mon Mothma, but because they're, they and her character overall are so important to theme Star Wars wants to explore and the idea of politics and how we interact with each other, how our political views can shape the world around us. There's a lot going on besides lightsaber battles, even though I do love a good lightsaber battle. I think that's why I'm, I mean, I'm glad they brought Mon Mothma back in Andor for so many reasons, obviously. But a big one is that she, as a character, has existed since the original trilogy and like everyone kind of has an idea of who she is. But if you like, if you're someone who just watches like the shows and movies, or even like I know people who don't watch the animated shows, but would watch like Andor or like Obi-Wan Kenobi or something like that, you don't actually know that much about her. Like she she only briefly appears in the media that she's been in. So to have a show that brings her back as one of the major characters and gives her like an actual storyline that not just develops where she is in terms of like the early rebellion but also gives us some insight into like what her backstory was like for someone who is more of a casual viewer and maybe hasn't read any like books or comics or outside media that she's appeared in that is huge because she's such a like you said like important person in universe and most people wouldn't have known like anything about her until Andor came out I I apologize um because I'm trying not to do it but I do want to bring up Legends very briefly. <laughs> Legends Mon Mothma. Again, so sorry to bring up Legends on the podcast, but I, I really desperately wanted to make this point. If you read through Mon Mothma's appearances in Legends and canon to an extent pre-Andor, but not quite as much, 
Uh, I went back and just reread both Wikipedia articles to prepare for recording this. And I was struck by, in Legends, how everything that's on there just seems to be a list of stuff that she does. Like, she is the leader of the rebellion and later the first chief of state for the New Republic. The most interesting character thing that happens around Mon Mothma isn't Mon Mothma. It's a guy named Garmbel Iblis. He's the one that gets the interesting character moment when he gets to be wrong about her. She doesn't really get to change or be challenged in that moment. And canon Mon Mothma, what they're doing with her that's really interesting, both in terms of the scenes that she gets in Moving Target as well as uh, Princess and the Scoundrel. Uh, and then what they're doing with her in Andor is they're humanizing her more and making her more of a character. How does she feel about these things? What has she given up to essentially be the George Washington of the Star Wars universe? How has that affected her? How has that made her wiser? What comfort can she offer to Jen Erso in the Rogue One comic adaptation? that she would not have been able to make if she was not the person she is. And I love seeing that side of Mon Mothma and how she can speak to Jen Erso, how she can speak to Leia and have these quiet moments of being a supportive figure, being a mentor figure, being somebody who's a few steps ahead on the road because she's also been on this very heartbreaking yet righteous journey that she's been on ever since the days of the Clone Wars. She was fighting leading up to the Clone Wars in the Senate. She was fighting in the Senate during the Clone Wars. We find out she's advocating for separatist planets in Andor. She's part of this separatist coalition. And that's not getting her any thanks, but she's doing it because it's the right thing to do. And I just love all of the new content. There's a moment Apologies if I'm jumping ahead. There's a moment where in the one of the latest comics where they just found out that they're building a second Death Star. Spoilers for Star Wars, by the way. There's a second Death Star, <laughs> FYI. But everybody, it's it's her, Harrison Dula, Jail uh, Akbar. All these people are basically standing around a table, and everybody's dead silent for a minute. And then Mon's like. Well, we blew up the first one. We can do it again. I'm like, you are so correct. You are so right to be the one to speak up and say, well, we did it before. We'll do it again. And those moments are informed so much by the the elements of her as a person that we're getting as opposed to just Mon Mothma, the political figure, which I felt like Legends leaned into way too much. Way too much. Except for her scene in Revenge, uh, Return of the Jedi, but I'm sure we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, I also, I loved that moment in the recent comics where, where she said that because I think that, and I'm sure that we've talked about this on this podcast before, about this kind of line between being like naively hopeful or just like hopeful. And I think that some people's perception of her is that she falls on the more naively hopeful side where it's just like, oh, I, like, it'll be fine. Like, I'll, we'll just keep working and it'll be great. But I really think that that's not true of her. And I think that Andor is really helping to like reshape a lot of people's perspective of her because a lot of what people know about her comes from later in Rebels. And I do like love what she does in that show, but I don't think that it's like 
it, it doesn't give a full picture of her as a character because it's so like rooted in that point in time where she's just left the Senate. And so I think that when you take it back to Andor where she's like involved in the rebellion, but not nearly like as directly involved as she is when she can like publicly support the rebellion after leaving the Senate. And so I think that it shows, it shows better that like, yes, she, she has hope. Like you have to have hope to be involved in something like that, but it's not born out of naivety. It's like, it's out of like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like a realistic idea of what it takes to run a rebellion and like how things can actually get better. And it's not even, she's not even like flawless in that because we do have moments where her and Luthen kind of butt heads where it's like, she she feels like she's contributing enough but he's like no we need to be doing like actual like on the ground stuff like the money is great yes and we need that but like stuff like Aldani is also important and I think that it's it's a really good time period for her this like five BBY time period that we're set in because she's sort of starting to learn like what this rebellion actually looks like beyond just the political side and the financial side which is what she's mainly been contributing to it because those are one what she can offer and also like her strength is obviously in politics, but once she leaves the Senate and gets to kind of support the rebellion more publicly, more directly, and like be there with them while they are making these decisions, she kind of learns like what that actually means beyond like, oh, I can provide X amount of money for you to do things that I can't know about. I also, I think what you're kind of saying, she she has this hopefulness that's based out off of um, her experiences that have succeeded. Um, and she try she tends to focus on that. Uh, something about Andor that I like is everything you've been saying. I like how they're painting her in this new light of, you know, she's learning, she's um, gaining experience in seeing the non-political, non-financial side of the rebellion. Um, something I, I like more so in Andor than I did in her other, like, I th- I would say that the the media that she is um the visual media that she has been in the most is Rebels. Um I do think that in Rebels they had a very missed opportunity um but however I do think it was really intentional unfortunately that a lot of her character development was uh rooted in her being the foil to Saw Gerrera. Uh, I think that they were like, oh, let's show this duality. Oh, Saw Gerrera, he's so violent and so awful. And Mon Mothma, she's too naive and she thinks everything's going to work out. And that is not true for either of them. Rebels, girl, I will literally fight you for how you represented Saw Gerrera. Actually, Star Wars in general, come meet me in the pit. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a different episode um and but basically i think that she is just you know she's finally getting this development that she deserves uh in in andor versus you know the way i i do think part of it definitely is how she was written in rebels i also think a lot of it is uh fandom as it so often is uh and men in the fandom who think that they know everything and in lack perspective um but yeah truly men in the fandom are the worst um we should actually all be exiled from fandom i don't think we should be allowed 
Um, frankly, I'm embarrassed by us a lot of the time. Uh, so sorry uh, for that, all of that. <laughs> I want to personally apologize on behalf of men. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I know they're fucking not. No, but like to your point, Sage, I think I the one moment that I know that like so many people based their opinion of Mon Mothma around is in Rebels when she has that conversation with Saw Guerrero where he says the line about like, I hope when the Empire is won and whatever, you'll take comfort in the fact that you fought according to the rules or something like that. And I know that people like their entire the way that they view her character comes from that one scene. And I'm like, uh, putting aside how atrociously written Saw Greer is specifically in season three of Rebels, like it's it's quite bad. Um, But I'm also like, that's not, that is not at all like the summary of her character. And I think, yeah, I, I agree. It was kind of a missed opportunity in Rebels because we have her at this point where she's just left behind basically everything. Like she no longer, and not that like, her Senate seat was such a like comfort and security for her because we know, especially after watching Andor, that it really was not. But like still, when you leave all of that and like she's literally on the run, she's like one of the most wanted people by the Empire in the entire galaxy. And she has to kind of learn where she fits in with this rebellion where all these people have been fighting for years. And she comes along and is like, yeah, I've been here since the beginning, but like no one knew except for like some of the very specific people she worked with no one knew that she was helping the rebellion because she couldn't be public about it because she literally would have been killed um and so now she's kind of at this point where she's like I've just left behind the thing that I've been doing literally since I was a teenager to support this rebellion and to kind of almost be the face of it in many ways and most of the people here didn't even know I was involved and so how can I like one, earn their trust and help them to win while also not doing something that is just going to bring the whole thing to an end and lose any chance we have of ever actually making a difference. And I do think one one key thing, and Andor is doing so much better of a job, in my opinion, of showing why ideologies and approaches like the way Saw does it end up not really working out where the Alliance to Restore the Republic ends up becoming the dominant rebellion group under Mon Mothma, in that one of the things Mon Mothma has that none of the other early really rebel groups seem to have, she has a plan for what she wants to do after the Empire falls. And that plan is faulty, and I'm sure we will get to it when we get to the New Republic section, but she has that plan, and she's constantly thinking we see one of the few times we like really get a good look at her is in contingency plan. When we see she's uh, developing these different ideas in her head of like, what do I do if the Death Star destroys Yavin 4? And unfortunately, I must spoil contingency plan here, but uh, skip ahead 30 seconds and go read contingency plan if you haven't read it. She decides to surrender. She's going to give herself up if the Death Star destroys Yavin 4. Because she seems, she's this kind of person who she's thinking several steps ahead. She's hopeful the future can get better, but she also knows what that future being better looks like to her. And she has that vision to be able to guide the rebellion to no, we are trying to reinstitute the Republic. We're trying to take things back to democracy. We're trying to 
strip down this fascist system that has got the galaxy under the boot hill and replace it with something that hopefully will be better. Now, her idea of better in some ways works and in some ways doesn't. And again, Bloodline will get to you later on in the episode. But she does have that. And there's a great scene in Andor where Saw is talking about uh, different groups of people uh, that he hates because they're bad. But what's interesting about all those groups is he just sort of lists off ideologies that they all cling to. Like one of them's a separatist. One of them's like a neo-republic person. Like it's all these different groups that are formed around these ideologies. And ultimately, we never really hear from any of them again. And I think a lot of that is in part to the character of who Mon Mothma is as a person and her belief and her respect, too, for her fellow people who are rebelling against the Empire. I think that's also something we do see a little bit in Rebels where she's having to like, she's now in the position of having to make calls, which is clearly very uncomfortable for her, where like Ezra goes to her for help. And she's like, yeah, we can't commit to that. Like, I'm sorry, I want to. Uh, but we also see in the comics, like she has a deep respect for Admiral Akbar. We see in Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and then through the comics, we see she has a deep respect for Leia. And again, in Moving Target, and again, in Princess and the Scoundrel. I'm going to keep bringing up Moving Target and Princess and the Scoundrel, those scenes with Mon, uh, because they're so good. But I think all of this says a lot about her as a leader and why the Alliance to Restore the Republic ends up being the one to ultimately overthrow the Empire and institute the New Republic. I think a lot of it comes back to just who Mon is as a person and the way she interacts with other rebel cells. She interacts with other people in the rebellion. She really is, she's her own unique kind of girl boss. And I really appreciate that about her, that there are not a lot of people you can look at in the Star Wars universe that are like Mon Mothma. I do think that one of the things that I love about the way that the Star Wars timeline is sort of organized and that it like we have a lot of different media covering a extremely large span of time is that I personally am sure everyone is aware of this about me and a person who loves reading like rebellion stories they're like my favorite thing ever and it's often that you know you get through the rebellion whatever the rebels win and then things kind of end and what I like about Star Wars is that after and it's again it's more in like books and comics you have to read to really get into like the New Republic stuff and I know that like there are shows starting to come out in that era but they're not really getting into like the actual politics of the New Republic it's more like other stuff that's kind of happening at the same time um but like we get to see sort of what kind of government arises after the empire has fallen and also like the many faults that it has because spoiler alert for like literally everything that happens after Return of the Jedi but there are some issues um and Mon Mothma is definitely a big part of that obviously um but we do actually get to see that like yes once we've defeated the Empire it's great that the Empire is not in control anymore but and obviously it all ends with the rise of the First Order so things clearly go wrong at some point in that um but yeah we get to really like get a look at what Mon Mothma's role in that was, especially because she was such a prevalent figure in the rebellion. And so when it came time to like establish a new government and people would look to her, it's like not everything is going to go 
flawlessly based on her ideas. The thing I love about the sort of post Return of the Jedi direction that she goes and the government she sets up and her role in it is you, it all very clearly tracks. You know, she's a Clone Wars era senator who, to an extent, holds that up as the model, the best model of government. The things she picks to try to fix are things that were specific responses to things that she Palpatine did. So she wants to move the the Senate around so that it doesn't get mired down in corruption. We're demilitarizing the New Republic fleet. And all of this makes sense on paper and it tracks with her character. And it also makes sense like a galaxy that's just sick and tired of war is going to be like, yeah, let's cut down our Navy by 90%. And the other 10% is going to be helping the local militias. When also not punishing Imperial war criminals as much as maybe the New Republic should have been punishing Imperial war criminals. But also none of that is like, her necessarily being presented as being wrong because she she makes these choices based on what she thinks is best it does work out for a while and then it kind of goes off in a direction beyond she can what she control and what i love about the fact that you know several decades later things are descending into fascism again is that unlike people who are very critical of the sequel trilogy for being like ah yes we're doing this again the original trilogy meant nothing. Uh, it it does not make sense that 30 years later, the fascists are coming back. I'm sorry. Have you looked outside the window lately? Like, have you paid attention oh, to history? Like, this happens all the time. It's so indicative of, of not even our modern times, but things throughout history. If you look at the Revolutionary War, when they ended the Revolutionary War, there were a whole bunch of other rebellions that happened because they couldn't keep things under control. And then what happened uh, like 100 years later, less than 100 years later? Uh, we had another rebellion. It was called the Civil War. I really love the fact that canon has decided to go with the, oh, they tried another thing and it fell apart because we didn't address the underlying issues also, we let all the fascists run off to Argenti space Argentina. And uh, turns out that's a bad idea to do. So, like, maybe next time we just shoot the fascists. I feel like that's a better idea. <laughs> I love that direction for canon, frankly. And I know part of it's unintentional because I'm sure they were like, no, you need stormtroopers and rebellion. Uh, everyone's still mad about the prequels. We desperately have to get them back. but. Unintentionally, they created a really accurate narrative. I love Bloodline so much because I read it and I'm like, Claudia Gray, congratulations on having read at least one history book because this is so good and I love this so much. Uh, not to, to tangent too much, but the scene where she walks into uh, Ransom, was it Ransom Casterfo's office? yeah. <laughs> and he's got like, imperial memorabilia on the walls and she's like the fuck i i love that i think about that scene constantly i love it so much uh but to bring it back around to mon mothma because i also have a tendency to tangent uh what's interesting is her formulative role in the new republic makes complete sense for setting up this scenario and you can't necessarily say that you don't understand why she did it 
even if I might disagree with her politics quite a bit and do think maybe we should have shot the fascists at the end of the war. I completely agree with you that I think some people view the sequel trilogy in the first order as like this is just the empire like 2.0 and it's just the same story that we've already had and I do definitely think that when Lucasfilm was making those films it was a little bit of like let's just bring back the things that worked in the original trilogy so people might enjoy them but I do think that it, it ended up being really interesting in that like the first order yes is obviously like a sort of offshoot of the empire like they are not disconnected entities but like it's a different problem that we're facing like at the end of the day it's fascism and we need to like get get rid of it um which is the underlying theme in all of star wars um but it is a completely different conflict and i think that and i like i will admit that i have not consumed as much like sequel era content outside of the films that i would like to and that's just because there's so much Star Wars content and I haven't gotten there yet. Um, But I do think that there is a lot of like interesting stories to be told of like how the First Order is different from the Empire and how that changes what a rebellion needs to be against this fascist government. And I definitely think that like, while there are similarities, obviously there are also a lot of differences. And I think that that is what makes the sequel trilogy interesting to me who I am a sequel trilogy enjoyer. I'm sure I've said it before and I'll say it again because I think that there's a lot of really good stuff there. Um, but yeah, I think that some people, especially with like Force Awakens, I see people being like, the Force Awakens was just a new hope with a different set of characters. And I'm like, no, it wasn't actually because changing out those characters and changing out the details of like what the resistance is versus like the Rebel Alliance and what the First Order is versus the empire is what makes it interesting. And I think that the way you get there through all this sort of in-between content in like books and comics where we see sort of what the new Republic becomes and what its downfalls are is actually really helps to like enhance what the sequel trilogy is. And this is what Star Wars like novels have been doing forever is making the movies and shows better by expanding on the things that were kind of like let fall to the side. And I think that Mon Mothma specifically, but like the entirety of the New Republic government is a really good example of why if you read the books that happen in between these two trilogies, you might actually enjoy them more. Crazy, but it, that's what happens. I know that the the Aftermath books by Chuck Wendig are controversial. I really like them. And part of the reason I really like them is because, and bless Wendig's heart, he had no idea Last Jedi and... Uh, and Rise of Skywalker were going to happen. But just based on Force Awakens, he did a pretty good job of setting up why the New Republic sort of breaks down. Also, Mon is in the latter two books, Life Debt and um, Empire's End, quite a bit. She's in, including at one point where someone tries to assassinate her, uh, which obviously does not succeed. Uh, but I do hate that person forever. I forget his name. It's Nora's Wexley's husband. Spoiler for Aftermath. Uh, easily on my top 10 most hated Star Wars characters. Maybe not in the top five. But what I think Aftermath does a really good job of is showing the late stage alliance to restore the Republic. How that's starting to set up the new Republic. But also already starting to kind of see where the cracks are going to show. So by the time we get to Bloodline, Mon Mothma's out of the picture. 
there's nobody to really hold everything together. And it could have been Leia, but uh, that didn't go well. <laughs> that didn't end up happening. So there's really nobody that can step up and, and take Mon Mothma's place. It really is a very George Washington situation where George Washington kind of held the early American government together with his bare hands. And the second he stepped away, all of a sudden, Alexander Hamilton is shooting people. Uh, Andrew Jackson, my enemy, is shooting multiple people while in office. Uh, there's all sorts of political parties, and it's just not having... There's a lot more fighting when he leaves. And so it's interesting they've chosen to make Mon Mothma this sort of figure, as opposed to Legends, where they put the Republic back in place and the Empire's like a random 25-year, 30-year blip on the radar. Like, it's around, but it stops being the main force in the galaxy shortly after the Thrawn trilogy. So I do like canons trying to show, like, how these systems evolve, that everything doesn't just go back to normal when you win against the fascists. And I do think that Mon in universes attempt to kind of put things right, but also kind of weakens things a little bit is interesting to explore because you it asks the reader to ask questions about how they feel about demilitarization, about how they feel about these topics that she's raising. There's almost a challenge there of, okay, Mon made some calls. I don't agree with them. I need to analyze why I don't agree with them. What does that say about me? And I think that's a really interesting use of the character later on in the timeline. Sorry, also, I have a tendency to ramble. Better you talking about what our actual topic is than me talking about Chopper, um, who I, I could bring into this conversation so easily, you guys. Hey, remember um, that time they were in a shot together in Rogue One? Stop. Hey, remember that time Chopper and, and Mon Mothma were in Rogue One together? I think about that constantly when I watch that. Every time I watch that movie, I'm torn between, do I want to look at Mon Mothma? Or do I want to look at, there's Chopper. Chopper's in the background of this. Chopper has canonically met Mon Mothma. I love that. I remember like when they re-screened that film before Andor, and I went to see it with a couple of my friends. And the scene where Chopper was on screen, and I literally was like leaning over to them, being like, "Guys, Chopper's Chopper's on the screen right now. If you look really close," and they were like, "Can you shut up and let us watch the movie?" And I was like, "But, but Chopper's right there, guys. I don't know if you knew this, but he's there. He's there, and it's the best part of the movie. Don't hate me. Don't hate me. I said it. I said it. Sorry to everyone else who loves Rogue One. I, I did too. I really think that you." should not be saying this around me when we all know that the best part of the movie Don't you is say when it. Bail Organa is like, I would trust her with my life. Ah, so good. Anyway. Okay. My my favorite <laughs> part of the movie is honestly, the, so the Mon Mothma scene, I think about this constantly. And every time I watch the movie, it sends like shivers down my spine when, when this happens. So they have this debate. And because Mon has set up the rebellion at this point to operate like a mini democracy that she has this sort of council around her side note uh the guy who's played by anderson from sherlock in that that character does go on to be like the treasurer of the new republic or whatever so there is no justice and i hate that but 
she has this setup and she gets overruled. And she basically tells Jen, look, I'm sorry, I have to abide by the rules that I have set up for how this operates. I'm not going to force people to go on what is essentially a suicide mission. And Admiral Radis is like, okay, I have a better idea. Fuck you all. Fuck your vote. I'm taking my ship and I'm taking the profundity and I'm going to Scarif. And I'm taking Harrison Dula with me and I'm taking our entire fleet. And the moment where the guy runs out, first of all, he addresses her as senator, which is awesome. Because she's technically not a senator, but they're still calling her senator, which is rad as hell. I love that. He runs out and uh, he's like, hey, so Admiral Radis is gone and he took the entire fleet, his entire fleet with them. And then she gives this little smile where she's like, ah, yes, the thing I wanted to happen happened. Now I can send the rest of the fleet. And it's like, I love that little smile so much. Genevieve O'Reilly, you will always be famous for Mon Mothma. Truly, you did such a great job in all of your appearances with her. Because it's so, this tiny little touches of character that she gives to Mon. I love that so much. Truly. Um, and when she's in that scene with Chopper, it's, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Which is the same scene. <laughs> Sage and I have the same favorite scene from Rogue One for very mm. different reasons. Such different reasons. Um, I Mon about... Mothma's in my favorite scene too. I don't know why. Moving on. Um... <laughs> remember, remember that time they let her talk to Bail Organa in a movie? That was nice. Wish they do acknowledge. that again. Wish they do that in Andor. Andor I do. Season two. I'm I do get... on you. I do get why he couldn't be in Andor because her whole arc in Andor was about her being alone and Bale like has a support system in Leia and her and Brea Organa. And Mon's just like, nah, I'm stuck on Coruscant alone. Shitty men. And this sucks for me and everyone else involved. I should just move to Alderaan. That would have gone so much better if she just moved to Alderaan. I she think, would be I think sick. everyone should just move to Alderaan. Well, well, they would all die. Yeah, so. I know. I know. I thought about it as soon as I said it. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, my alternate reality Alderaan, where Alderaan didn't get destroyed. Mothma's horrible husband. He should make I agree. I agree. But he doesn't deserve to experience Alderaan for even like a second. God. The point is, <laughs> he, he gets blown to, up. He should move to Jetta City. Get out of <laughs> here. Don't bring up Jetta at this moment in time. Uh, speaking of Alderaan, uh, are we going to talk about the time that Brea shouted at Mon Mothma to stop fucking her husband? In front of Grandma Tarkin? I can't let us leave this episode without mentioning the time that Brea Organa shouted at Mon Mothma to stop fucking her husband in front of Grandma Tarkin. I think my favorite part of that scene also is when she's like, and I know this isn't the first time either. She said actor first in that moment. I'm obsessed with her. I also did, when I read Leia Prince of Alderaan for the first time, I listened to the audiobook. And so I was having such a great time during this scene. Like, and I had no idea that that scene even existed. Like, I don't know how I managed to avoid knowing about that until I read that book whenever, like a couple years ago or whenever I read it. But truly, like, it changed my life. And I think about it every single day and I bring it up 
every time I possibly can because I love when people don't know about it and I'm like wait till I tell you about what happened at this crazy dinner party at Alderaan oh my god well it also shows too like the level of trust that Brea and Mon and Bale have to have in each other to pull off a scene like that in public that relies on all three of those people 100% keeping their facial expressions and body language under control. You are not dealing with fucking Supervisor Blevin. You're not dealing with the Rent-A-Cops from Morlana One. That is Grand Moff goddamn Tarkin sitting at your dinner table. You cannot show weakness. You cannot show any sort of duplicity in front of that man. He will know. They pulled it off. which. Clearly, you can see these are the people that trained Leia Organa because when she gets on the Death Star, she does the exact same thing. She doesn't crack until he's like, mm, how about we murder your entire planet? Uh, although he does mercifully get blown up uh, several hours later. But I think that scene, that scene one is really funny, but also it's just indicative of the way that Mon and Bale and Brea work so well together. In sort of the middle what I consider the early middle stage of the rebellion, maybe late early stage of the rebellion uh, before A New Hope and everything sort of shifts on a dime, especially since Mon loses Braille, Braille, <laughs> Bale and Brea. Mon loses Bale and Brea. That's something that never gets brought up, ever. And there's a moment in Princess and the Scoundrel where Mon, is it she talks about Leia's parents I've only read the book once uh but it's this moment where she mentions either one or both of them I think she mentions both of them and I read the book and I was like oh my god they're actually acknowledging that she lost her political partner and friend of 20 years if I lost a friend of 20 years you can damn well bet that that would get mentioned more than once in conversation so the fact that they actually acknowledged it, that was a really touching moment because, again, people don't really see up to the, recently, people haven't really been seeing Mon Mothma as a person. They've been seeing her as an idealized political figure. They've been seeing her as the statue of Mon Mothma instead of the actual woman herself. And the woman herself has undergone so much tragedy to be who she is, but she's also retained such a sense of hope and not only hope, but a desire and a push to achieve that hope so strong that she's able to inspire others to go along with her. And I just love her so much. Like, I love this character. And I, I have for the longest time, and part of this is why, uh, I just love her, love her so much. Um, do we want to go into final thoughts on our girl boss, Mon Mothma? Uh, may I, may I go first for the final thought? Because, uh, I, I do think I just gave a, a, a wonderful little monologue, uh, about why I love Mon Mothma that I don't necessarily want to try to top. So instead I'm going to present my credentials, uh, for my obsession with Mon Mothma. And in order to do so, I've been hiding something. Uh, we're, we're on, for our listeners only, we're on sort of a webcam right now. We can all see each other, and this is important. So in 2009, 
Lego came out with a home one set that is, to my knowledge, thus far the only set to ever have a Mon Mothma Lego minifigure. And if you know me, you know I'm an avid Lego collector, which is the correct Star Wars collection. Uh, Bradley will tell you it's Funko Pops, but he's wrong. So in 2013, I missed this set for financial reasons at the time. In 2013, I went on eBay and I bought this set specifically for the original 2009 Mon Mothma figure, Lego minifigure that I'm holding up for the camera. And she sits on a shelf in our main room. I, this woman has been an inspiring figure for a long time. Carolyn Blankston, who who portrays the character uh, in Return of the Jedi for 26 and a half seconds, according to her, has said that she considers Mon Mothma to be as iconic as a character as, you know, Darth Vader or Emperor Palpatine. And I, I agree with her. Uh, this character certainly resonated with me as a younger person and continues to resonate with me now, you know, in my 30s. So I just love her so much. And I'm so glad I have her little Lego minifigure sitting on my desk. My final thoughts about Mon Mothma um, is that I also think she is an iconic character and she is one of the very few women in Star Wars who has such a long, uh, chronologically long and well-rounded uh, character. Um, she is present in two trilogies which is more than you can say about most of the women uh, in Star Wars. And for that reason, um, I do believe she is one of the uh, one of the character, one of the only characters I think that we have been able to talk about on Girl Boss of the Week um, in in relation to all of the Star Wars media. Um, and by that, I mean, we can talk about, you know, Trillisaduri all we want. Trillisaduri is in one video game. Um, rest in peace, Queen. I love you so much. Bring her back. Uh, we can talk about, you know, we can talk about Leia, who's in two trilogies as well, um, and who is also an iconic character. But I do think that Mon Mothma getting more attention in the current media that is being produced by Star Wars is... Um, an opportunity that is uh, plentiful and successful. So very glad for that. Um, let's keep the energy going with our other ladies. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that Mon Mothma being in Andor is one of the best things to happen to me personally because I just love her. Um, and I think that they executed her character so well on that show. And it's like exactly what I have been looking for with her character is like, this is exactly how I need to view her and how I am glad that other people are now starting to view her. Um, and again, like I said, that it kind of exposes her to a much larger audience that really either didn't know anything about her before or kind of had these misconceptions about her character are now sort of getting to see like the side of her that makes people like us love her so much. And I'm now seeing so many more people like talking about her character with so much more nuance than I ever would have seen before when she had just been in um in terms of visual media like Rebels, Rogue One, the original trilogy, sort of the prequels if you 
<laughs> watch the deleted scenes. Um, but yeah, I love that she's kind of getting, like, people are getting a greater appreciation for her character, like you said, outside of just this, like, rebel figure. Like, everyone knows her as, like, one of the leaders of the rebellion and one of the first rebel leaders that we ever get introduced to in canon. Um, but, like, now we're getting to see, like, what's her home life like? What is what is her personal life like? What does she do outside of politics and like does she even have a life outside of that because it is so all-encompassing like she has to give all of herself to her job and then to split that between like her her political career and also this growing rebellion and so I like that we are now getting a chance to see who she is behind all of that and that people are now starting to give her character like the level of thought that a character like that really requires in order for you to understand her and I also just love her personally. Um, <laughs> so it's great for me on a personal level to get to see more of her. I, I also think we should mention right at the end that she does have some of the most banger outfits in Star Wars. I, I needed to tack that at the end there uh, because I don't Absolutely. think it was ever mentioned. Absolutely. Banger banger from, from top to bottom. Uh, everything is an absolute slay. Charles, do you want to plug your socials and podcast? Uh, I would love to talk about me. It's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, on this episode, but you can also find me. Usually I am one half of the Gold Squadron Gaze podcast. It is a TV analysis podcast that I do with my, I think I settled on colleague, Bradley, uh, my adversary, Brett, my enemy. Anyway. I do a TV analysis podcast uh, called Gold Squadron Gaze. Uh, you can listen to that every week. Uh, we get some cool stuff coming up here. Um, we're about to cover Bad Batch, which uh, that's going to get spicy. We have some opinions about that. But then we also have some really cool bonus content that's coming up that's really exciting. I am also a player on For Light and Dice, which is a uh, Star Wars TTRPG actual play podcast that's set in the High Republic. Uh, Jess from Rupalp's Podrace is on that podcast with me. It is a great time. If you like the High Republic, uh, you should listen to that podcast. Chris, who is uh, Chris from Dark Side Divas, who is the DM and the editor of that podcast, has really pulled out all the stops. It really does sound like listening to an audiobook or an audio play at times. It's it's so good. I love it so much. Um, you can also find me personally if you want to shout at me directly for my opinions or uh, you want to see me absolutely lose my mind over Mon Mothma every time we get a scrap of content from her. You can follow me on Twitter at CWRogers6. For those of you who don't follow us on our social media um, or who might have missed it, the Bad Batch is coming out, or is already out, I guess, um, by the time you're listening to this, and we will not be covering it. Um, we usually cover our, uh, whatever is going on in Star Wars, and this will, the show will be going on for a while, so it is unfortunate that we're not covering it, that we aren't, fuck, it is unfortunate that we're not covering it, uh, however, we will have content for you anyways, um, you will be getting a lot of Girl Boss of the Week episodes. You'll be getting fun episodes with guests, et cetera, et cetera. 
So after some discussion, Sage and I have decided that we will not be covering The Bad Batch. For those who regularly listen, you know that we consistently critique Star Wars content as we review it. There is no project in Star Wars that is perfect in regards to representation of any minority community, and we have always believed in consuming and reviewing these projects with unapologetic criticism in order to create a space for conversation in the fandom and urge creators to produce more diverse media. However, the premise of the Bad Batch is fundamentally rooted in racism. The enhanced clones that are portrayed as being better than the regular clones are egregiously whitewashed. There has been plenty of time for the creators of the show to fix this, and yet they have not. This tells us that they do not care about spreading a racist and therefore harmful message to their audience. It should also be noted that the target audience for this show is children. We strongly urge our fellow podcasters and Star Wars influencers to speak on this matter and not give this show praise, further promoting it without criticizing the issues with it. To our listeners, assure that you are following at TBB on all platforms, exploring their card, and educating yourselves. The Unwhitewash the Bad Batch petition on change.org has less than 5,000 signatures. If all of our listeners signed this petition, it would have over double that amount. Fulcrum Transmissions is a podcast that centers discussions about women and girls first and foremost, and, is in, and it is incredibly upsetting to us that the creators of The Bad Batch would deprive Star Wars of a show featuring a young girl by rooting the plot and animation in racism, among other offensiveness and bigotry. And I will link all the links mentioned, um, the petition, the Unwhitewash the Bad Batch, everything in the description of this episode. Um, and they're also in our link tree, so you can go check those out and sign the petition. And make sure you're following all their social media to keep up with any updates on these issues. Um, also, if you have anything to say about any uh, girl boss or any woman character um, in Star Wars, especially if you yourself are a woman or a person of color, we would really appreciate you reaching out to us um, with whatever character you would like to discuss. And we would love to have you on our podcast to have a great conversation. Uh, you can DM us uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, or email us at uh, fulcrumpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Charles's social media accounts will be linked in the description, as well as his podcast, Gold Squadron Gaze, and For Light and Dice. So make sure to go follow him and listen to both of those. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Also, if you have any girl bosses you'd like us to do an episode for, you can send them in as well. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would really appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.